0: Hey everyone, Teresa here. You're listening to Podnosis. Instead of our typical fantastic discussions on the healthcare industry, today I'm going to introduce you to The Top Line, our sister podcast from Fierce Life Sciences. Here's an episode from April of 2023. In this show, Fraser-Kahn Steiner takes on a topic that garnered a lot of attention in the news, the over-the-counter approval of Narcan, the opioid overdose medication. Enjoy the show.
1: Overdose in the U.S. has increased dramatically year over year over year. And with the most recent news about Trank, for example, Ziodine, you know, the the risk of overdose death is increasing every single day. Anything that we can do to increase access to a life-saving drug is better.
0: On March 29th, the FDA approved Narcan nasal spray for over-the-counter non-prescription use. It is the first Naloxone product to be approved for use without a prescription.
2: Over-the-counter, Narcan is going to make a very sizable difference in access to this very important drug that saves lives. Nurses in schools, the police at schools, EMS already carry it. Anyone that encounters individuals who might have taken a street drug, maybe have taken a prescription pill bought on the street, should have Narcan.
0: Today, Fierce Pharma reporter, Fraser Kansteiner, explores what that means for the opioid epidemic. Asking questions like, is it difficult to use? How accessible will it be? And will it save lives? I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. Today is Friday, April 27th, and stick with us. This is our first installment of our three-part Narcan special. Coming up next, we'll hear from Dr. Katherine Cunningham from the Center for Addiction Research at the University of Texas, and later, Dr. Thomas Britton, CEO of American Addiction Centers. There's been a lot of optimism among addiction experts and academics and policymakers following Narcan's over the counter approval at the FDA. The move has been heralded as a huge step forward in the fight against the US opioid epidemic, and a major boost when it comes to preventing overdose deaths, especially those caused by synthetic opioids like fentanyl. But the approval only just happened, and we've still got a lot of questions. How much will the -the over-the-counter Narcan cost? Where will it be available? Will stigma around the drug persist? And how do we need to educate people, both average citizens and healthcare professionals, to ensure the life-saving nasal spray is used properly and promptly. Well, Fraser-Keynst Center put those questions to four people, each with a different expertise within addiction and opioids. So first, we'll hear how that conversation went with Dr. Katherine Cunningham from the Center for Addiction Research at University of Texas. Here they are.
3: Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Cunningham. Uh, I've been talking to a lot of experts about the uh, significance of this recent over-the-counter Narcan approval at the FDA, and I'm really happy that we get to speak today about this further. On the surface, Narcan's over-the-counter approval appears like a big win for access, but again, there are many uncertainties that remain around things like education and, and real-world availability. Uh, based on this decision, uh, you know, in your mind, who ought to be carrying Narcan with them, and, and what sort of settings ought to be equipped with this drug?
2: I personally carry Narcan myself because I worry that I might engage with someone that has had an overdose situation. And the important aspect of this is it is uh, a challenge with fentanyl in our street drug supply right now approximately 60 to 70 percent of the uh, pills and powders that have been picked up by the DEA in the last year have fentanyl in them. And that is not necessarily known to the user. If a a purchase is is of cocaine and it has fentanyl, there could be enough fentanyl in the substance that they use that could kill them. So, to answer your first question, having on, Narcan on hand is critical to anybody that is using, buying, and using drugs that may and contain fentanyl, even if they're not intending to buy fentanyl.
3: That's a good point. And uh, you know, when it comes to places that ought to be equipped with this, you know, like schools and other locations, uh, you know, how prevalent do you think Narcan ought to be, and, and how might this over-the-counter decision help facilitate wider access?
2: Over the counter, Narcan is going to make a very sizable difference in access to this very important drug that saves lives. Nurses in schools, the police at schools, uh, EMS already carry it. Anyone that encounters uh, individuals who might have taken a street drug, maybe have taken a prescription pill that is bought on the street should have Narcan. We don't know what over-the-counter Narcan will cost yet. Uh, We hope that it's going to be an accessible uh, uh, price and it means that you'll be able to walk into a, a Kroger and pick up Narcan and that has a lot less stigma associated with having to go to a prescription counter and ask for Narcan, that raises eyebrows and it's it's challenging for a person to actually do that. So I think over-the-counter will make a big difference in that regard. Making sure it's everywhere uh, is, is instrumental to tackling this challenge until we figure out how to get fentanyl out of the drug supply in uh, the United States.
3: Absolutely, and I mean, given the ubiquity of this problem, uh, you know the prevalence of fentanyl, and also uh, I think sort of just this idea that this really needs to be something that that everyone can use. I want to hammer in on that education piece a bit more. You know, what sort of education efforts do you think need to happen to make sure that first and foremost the average person can recognize an opioid overdose when they see one and and
2: know to intervene? That's a great, a great question, Fraser. Uh, And I would have said last year or two years ago that this would be challenging. However, uh, many credible organizations have online systems. Uh, The Red Red Cross site is one of the ones that gives you an example of training. You can actually get a certificate to be trained to deliver Narcan. And um, having that uh, very easy information Allows you to understand what to look for in an opiate overdose, and uh, then how to deliver Narcan. And Narcan, we just want to just want to remind you that Narcan is the trade name for one uh, nasal uh, inhaler, which will go over the counter. There will be more that will be provided sometime soon, but right now we're just excited to get Narcan over the counter uh, probably by the end of this summer.
3: You know, similarly, uh, you mentioned that Narcan is is obviously just one branded product of of many naloxone products. Uh, And again, specifically, it's a nasal spray formulation. Uh, Can you maybe just talk about how easy Narcan is to use comparatively when we're thinking about other naloxone products Um, and, you know, what education needs to happen to make sure people administer it correctly?
2: You're correct. Intranasal delivery is very quick. It's not invasive. It's easy to use. And it's a very, from a pharmacology perspective, it has very rapid absorption and it produces uh, blood levels high enough to to block the effects of uh, fentanyl or another opiate that's in the body. There are intravenous versions, but you run the risk of misplacing the injection or infectious disease transmission. So the uh, intranasal delivery device is, is the best one to have in the hands of uh, all of us. So the um, the way it's delivered is fairly uh, straightforward. Um, in the case of finding somebody with a, a presumed overdose, you can immediately uh, pop that package open and deliver it into a nostril and press the plunger, and then you call 911. 1- if, if a person doesn't wake up, to voice or touch soon, then Narcan can keep being dosed every two to three minutes. And in the case of fentanyl uh, overdoses, uh, they come. the box comes with two nasal delivery devices. And in, in, in the case of um, f- some fentanyl derivatives, you might have to dose every two to three minutes just to get somebody to wake up.
3: Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really considered that and, you know, thinking about sort of the necessity of those this multiple doses in, in one package. Uh, I want to touch on something else uh, from your work previously. And essentially, I was reviewing a study you were a part of on neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome in mice. Uh, offspring were born with long-term neurological deficits and withdrawal symptoms. And, and research also shows that newborns can have del- uh, developmental, behavioral, educational, and psychological or mental health issues even later in life. Uh, there's still a lot to learn about opioid use during pregnancy and certainly a lot to learn about over-the-counter Narcan use by pregnant people. But you know, to your mind, what should researchers be looking into? What questions should they be asking?
2: Well, yes, that's true. Uh, Ping Wu and I are collaborators on a grant that is investigating the, um, the effects of opiates during prenatal period, and those are uh, in rodent studies. However, that has there has been significant information about the need to make sure that uh, pregnancy is managed appropriately to assure that offspring are safe and will not develop, uh, will not experience developmental problems because of uh, prenatal exposure to opiates. And uh, the uh, there's two or three studies now. Uh, well, you'll probably ask about Narcan, of course. Naloxone is very important to have in the overdose situation. But we also have very effective medications for opiate use disorders. Suboxone uh, is a drug known as uh, buprenorphine, and it is marketed with naloxone. And Suboxone management of pregnant women has been shown to uh, mitigate almost 98% of overdose events while pregnant. And also mitigates the uh, the chance for uh, uh, dire circumstances to the neonate. So it's it's a double it's a double opportunity to save the mother and the baby. We are just in the beginning stages of these these studies, but the phenotype of the male offspring was. Uh, ADHD had behaviors that were similar to ADHD, and that's only in males, not in females. So we're following up on those studies right now to determine uh, actually how that happens, what the mechanisms of actions are, and can we mitigate those with buprenorphine when we, uh, when we treat these, uh, this animal model with buprenorphine.
3: And, you know, it's my understanding that Naloxone and and Narcan are are quite safe, but can you think of any concerns for over-the-counter Narcan use by pregnant people that might warrant more research?
2: It is largely without effects, uh, Narcan or Naloxone, on anybody who is normal. If somebody is uh, an opiate use disorder, uh, who's taking opiates, who is dependent upon opiates, then uh, the use of Narcan will uh, cause them to um, go into a withdrawal state. So that can be um, unpleasant, but it's not uh, deadly. So uh, it's better to save someone from the opiates than worry about whether Narcan's uh, dangerous.
3: Yeah, and I know you you've spoken about organizations helping facilitate distribution of Narcan currently, um, but you know, just given that this issue is classified as a national health emergency, do you think that the government ought to have any responsibility in providing this drug, uh, almost in the way that happened with you know COVID tests, therapeutics, vaccines, that sort of thing? Yeah,
2: and they, and the government through uh, uh, the government through the has has made a big difference in that regard. So the 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 Narcan that we get. We can get some through grants that have been given to agencies around us, so they will give out as much as they can. They distribute it to everywhere. But if you want to think about where does it need to be? Does it need to be in hotel lobbies? Does it need to be in gas stations? Does it need to be accessible for free in uh, pharmacies? Uh, That is not as widely um, available. As, uh, as it could be. So it's, again, goes back to the cost and the barriers uh, that are of um, uh, uh, the affordability of getting uh, naloxone.
3: Absolutely. Um, I wanna touch on one slightly controversial aspect to this approval, which is whether easier availability of naloxone would encourage more or, or maybe riskier drug use. Um, in your experience, Dr. Cunningham, is, is this a real cause for concern?
2: So if you look to the literature that's been published, implementation of naloxone seems to result in a decreased use of opioids. Imagine experiencing a potential life-threatening event and you were saved by naloxone or Narcan. That can actually decrease use of opioids. So there are other places you can look for in the literature to answer this question. So what if, you know, if you implement naloxone access and then look, and in some states, naloxone access laws doesn't seem to be adding to the problem. If you look at the data on adolescents, increased naloxone access is associated with decreased hmm. adolescent drug use. And that was published just recently. I think it's one of those myths about naloxone um, that what data I've looked at suggests that having access to naloxone is is either decreasing use or um, at least making people cognizant of the fact that uh, overdoses are serious, they do cause death, and they can be reversed
3: i actually want to dig in a bit more to to sort of this perspective on the overall uh, addiction treatment landscape in the u.s uh you know speaking to multiple experts we've heard this is kind of woefully underdeveloped here compared to other places you know nordic countries which have been kind of on the harm reduction train for decades but you know i suppose my question is uh again noting that narcan or naloxone more broadly is just one piece of opioid use disorder treatment. Um, you know, what do you think really needs to happen next uh, to to move the needle in, in the fight against this epidemic?
2: Sud treatment has been has taken off. We have we have amazing capabilities. I mentioned buprenorphine. Uh, we have Vivitrol. So we have medications, but they're not implemented. And now that Buprenorphine. I, I don't know if you've discussed the waiver, the removal of the buprenorphine waiver.
3: That would be the MAT Act, correct? Or correct, I, correct. Yeah.
2: That's correct. It's MAT, medication-assisted therapy or medication for the treatment of OUD or substance use disorder. That's been lifted. So any physician that has an FDA, uh, a DEA license for for uh, medication uh, prescriptions, can now prescribe suboxone for an individual in their clinic. And uh, we have that tool. It blocks opiate overdoses and it treats patients underlying opiate use disorder. So can we get that out to a larger number of individuals coupled with the support structure that's necessary to keep someone going down the line of success in recovery. You need a support structure for someone to be treated and to maintain recovery. And medications provide a couple of things. You go to the doctor and your doctor suspects that you have diabetes, knows exactly what blood test to give you, knows exactly what medication to, to give you uh, to treat. So when you go in and somebody... Uh, suspects a physician su- suspects that an individual has a substance use disorder. What tools do we have? The integration of substance use treatment into medical practice is imperfect at the present moment, and so we are have a great opportunity to Im- improve the basic level of health care how do we identify individuals how do we give doctors the tools they need to identify the the problem and then to treat it so that's that's a really important aspect of it, of moving forward
3: great well again dr cunningham thank you so much for your time obviously there's a lot of work left to be done but this is this is definitely an exciting moment
2: let me know if you can need anything else
3: absolutely
0: that was Katherine Cunningham and Fraser Kansteiner. Fraser, by the way, was just moments ago awarded a company award called a Q Award, along with his team for some investigative reporting they did earlier this year. So congrats, Fraser! So with all the excitement around this new FDA over-the-counter Narcan approval, you'd think it was a brand new drug, but naloxone has actually been around since the 70s. It was originally used in hospital settings, and delivered via an auto-injector. It was used for opioid overdose, but also in combination with pain medication for people who were getting a surgery. Eventually, it became available for first responders, paramedics, and law enforcement. So we've had decades with Narcan, and it has shown to be a very safe drug. So why the over-counter approval only now? Well, all 50 states had some regulations that allowed people to get Narcan without a doctor's prescription like from their pharmacist, for example. But sometimes it was still hard to get access to. So how will the -the over-the-counter status improve accessibility? That is one of the questions Frazier asked Dr. Thomas Britton, CEO of American Addiction Centers. Here's what they had to say.
3: Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Britton, to talk about Narcan's over-the-counter FDA approval. Narcan's over-the-counter FDA approval has been met with a lot of mainstream enthusiasm, but we've also seen a fair deal of expert skepticism as well. Uh, From your perspective, Dr. Britton, just how significant is this over-the-counter approval?
1: Well, I think it has tremendous opportunity. You know, what we know is that overdose in the U.S. has increased dramatically year over year over year. And... With the most recent news about Trank, for example, Zaludin, you know, the the risk of overdose death is increasing every single day. And so anything that we can do to increase access to a life-saving drug is better.
3: Now... Naloxone, the the molecule behind Narcan, has actually been around for decades, and we've even recently seen generics arrive uh, to challenge Narcan itself, which is a nasal spray formulation of the opioid antagonist. Um, How do you rank the significance of over-the-counter Narcan against other emergency interventions, uh, specifically for people who've overdosed?
1: Sure. I I mean, I I think first just to kind of touch on what you said that's really important for people to understand is we've had this drug since the 70s. It's been used in hospital settings for a long, long time um, for people that are getting medication for surgeries, for example. And so it's a tremendously safe drug um, that I could give it to you and it won't harm you at all. You know, and and so I think one of the interesting things for the pharma industry is, is, you know, with this becoming more widely available, you know, there's gonna be a bigger demand for generics and for expanding the supply, you know, of the drug. And I think something that we'll tap into a little bit is really kind of the pricing sensitivity and some of the factors around it. You know, but we're at a time where, you know, the bottom line is it is a drug that works, it's a drug that's known, it's a drug that's safe, and giving access to people is critical. <laughs>
3: You know, you mentioned that, that naloxone is used in hospital settings, and I think that's an interesting facet of this discussion that maybe gets overlooked when people think about more, um, you know, like street drug use, uh, for mm-hmm. lack of a better phrase. Can you maybe just touch on on that a little bit and why this is important for all different types of people and
1: patients? Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think I think first I'd say, you know, when, when, if I were to say to somebody, what does an opioid user look like? They probably picture the person shooting, you know, heroin on the street or something like that. The reality is that three million people in the U.S. misuse opioids um, and, you know, increasingly using street available opioids because getting them from a doctor is very hard today. So I I think in thinking about that three million people, 75 percent of those people have jobs. You know, most of those people are in kind of what we would consider normal culture. And you might look at them and not know they have a problem. And so them having Narcan is critical. Um, if I lived in a family where I had a family member with a chronic pain condition, for example, and they took opioid pain medication, it would be good for me to have that drug. Because if they mistook it by mistake, it could save their life.
3: Absolutely. That's a great point. Um... Yeah, I've, I've uh, heard some talk about this being almost necessary as sort of a standard issue part of first aid kits and things like that mm-hmm. as well.
1: I think it should be. And, you know, I live in Chicago full time and the mayor, um, I think we should say the previous mayor, uh, but Mayor Lightfoot uh, made a huge push, but every first responder, bus drivers, libraries, like any public employee had Norkin available to them at any time. And that initiative alone saved a tremendous amount of lives um, in the city of Chicago because people overdose all the time. Starbucks has an initiative because they had a, a huge problem with people dying in the bathrooms um, because they didn't lock their bathrooms to non-customers. And you know these are the type of strategies and initiatives that have been you know done very grassroots oriented um, where the drug was really available either through a prescription in the beginning and then through select pharmacies um, or from really all of the free access programs throughout the country.
3: Yeah. It's almost like having defibrillators, uh, you know, just in public places.
0: Exactly.
3: Yep. Um, so, you know, beyond, uh, Intervening in overdoses. Uh I, I wanna ask, I guess, more broadly how you think this over-the-counter Narcan decision stacks up against other measures rolled out to fight the US opioid epidemic, maybe specifically some more novel ideas, at least in the US, like having safe injection sites and that sort of thing.
1: Oh, sure. You know, it's it's addressing if, if you think about addiction as a disease and as a problem in the US. Um, It's the leading cause of death for people under 50, for example. So I think everybody knows that overdose is a huge deal. Um, But the larger problem of addiction, you know, is 40 to 60 million people. And so safe, you know, injection drug sites, for example, is another intervention. But it's but it's very unscalable, you know, And, and what it is for those who don't know about it is I literally go into a place where I'm able to use my drugs with medical supervision, is bottom line what it is. It's happening in some of the Scandinavian countries, it's happening in a couple of cities in the US, but it's not very widespread, but it's not scalable at all. Um, and a lot of people who use substances won't want to go somewhere like that to use. So Narcan, freely available, covered by you know your private insurance, um, makes suddenly a life-saving opportunity available to every single person at every time, with no training of any kind.
3: You know, some of those measures, uh, again, like safe injection sites, are uh, particularly in the U.S. somewhat controversial, uh, and there is a lot of stigma surrounding uh, addiction treatment in general. Um, do you think that over-the-counter Narcan will will face similar skepticism and stigma?
1: You know, I I would want to say that I hope not. <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's kind of the commentary that a, an injection site would somehow encourage people to use drugs, right? Which is really kind of crazy when you think about it. Like, I've never tried heroin, but now there's a tent with some nurses, so I think I'm going to go try it since there's some there, is a really ludicrous argument. Um, I, I think that the scale of the overdose epidemic is so dramatic that it's literally changed the narrative in the country about addiction. Like, I think the overdose epidemic has reduced the stigma around substance use dramatically. And I think that spills to Narcan to some degree, is, you know, the the data is very, very clear as to how many lives it has saved. Um, you know, one of the studies that they track is 168,000 people from first responders were given Narcan um, last year. So 168,000 reversals, people that probably would have died had they not gotten the drug. The number of actual people that received it was in the millions, um, if you look at how many doses were sold. Um, and so I, I don't think it will have some of the same skepticism. I think that there will be people that don't understand what it is and say, is this a drug? Is it drug use? I think that may happen. But I think we're a smarter culture than we used to be.
3: Nice. Yeah, that's a great perspective to take. And I know that education around uh, use by the average person is something that will definitely be important as hopefully Narcan does become more accessible. Now, we, we touched on this a little bit. Um, you know, another issue raised uh, by this approval uh, is that, you know, will easier access to Narcan potentially encourage more or, or riskier drug use? Uh, Dr. Catherine Cunningham of the University of Texas Medical Branch suggested this concern was overblown and that interventions with drugs like naloxone uh, can discourage continued drug use. So uh, I just want to ask what your perspective on, on that take sort of more broadly is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what people are talking about is, you know, if I have the ability to reverse an overdose, will I use, you know, closer to the edge of death? I think it's kind of the question. So if you and I were together using and we didn't have it, that maybe we'd be more careful with the amount that we used. I think there's some plausibility to that, you know, that I, th- I think what is hard about, you know, the use of opioids and what causes so many overdose deaths is that the kind of, goal is to get right to the edge and that's what feels the best so it's possible but frankly who cares if it really did do that they're still shooting heroin you know they're still using fentanyl in a room by themselves and why not provide the extra security that's needed it's not going to make teenage kids be like hey now that i have this i'm going to go try heroin i don't think that is a logical leap
3: yeah that's a great point Um, You know, circling back a little bit to, uh, you know, the history of Narcan and Naloxone, uh, prior to this over-the-counter approval, all 50 states had access laws that uh, technically allowed pharmacists to distribute Narcan without a prescription. Uh, You know, that said, we've heard plenty of reports of pharmacists facing confusion over those rules, and I've also heard examples of state-level regulations kind of getting in the way of unfettered access. So, you know, what are some of the, the barriers that have previously or, or even currently hampered Narcan access and use by the average person?
1: So one of them were, were policy decisions by the large change. You know, so some chains, uh, pharmacy chains, decided not to carry it, period, even though they were able to, that they made the decision it wasn't something they wanted in their stores. And that was quite controversial. Um, so, some felt that that was discriminatory against people that had opioid use disorders. Other pharmacies had it. But there was a lot of confusion from um, customers of like, where do you go? How do you get it? And it's very embarrassing. Like, are you going to go up to the pharmacy line and say, um, hi there, could I have some Narcan, please? And they're like, what? What is it called? Naloxone, what? And there's 10 people behind you. So, you know, I, I think that was a big deal that really prevented a lot of barriers. And I think we now have in place as well Good Samaritan Laws. So that anyone who administers Narcan is protected by the laws that if something bad were to happen, it's not their fault. I think that licensed people like doctors and pharmacists and nurses are more um, cautious about that, you know, because they could lose their license. And I think that also drove some of the pharmacists' decisions not to give it.
3: Yeah, that's a great perspective especially when we talk about uh the idea that narcan ought to be sort of this standard inclusion in first aid and something Mm -hmm. that everyone is able to use and willing to use
1: yes and there's more overdoses and heart attacks in this in kind of the scene that we're talking about you know if you going back to your defibrillator example it's a great example you know um is that heart attacks happen anywhere overdoses happen anywhere Heart attacks happen to anybody, overdoses happen to anybody. Like having those available in that same way and being thought of in that same way is really, really rich.
3: Absolutely. Now, something that we've touched on a little bit is the issue of price. You know, at the end of the day, Narcan is a branded product from a uh, pharmaceutical manufacturer. Could the price of over-the-counter Narcan keep the drug out of reach for some of the people who need it most? And and essentially, what needs to happen for the non-prescription version of the drug to to be accessible in a meaningful way?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so first, I would say that you know the current cost is anywhere between you know forty and one hundred and fifty dollars, based on what you are buying and where, and that's out of reach for a lot of people. Um, And the geriatric population, the aging population, is one that uses a lot of opioid pain medication and are more vulnerable to overdose, for example. Um, And pharmacy expenses for that population is really high. Um, And so if you're looking at harm reduction as a payer or as a society, getting it into their hands for free is a really good goal. Um, You know, I've spoken before about during the height of the COVID pandemic, you could go into the pharmacy and they would give you free COVID tests that you could take at home. Um, And I did this once with my family and they asked for my insurance card. I gave it to them and they gave us like five of them for free. And there was no hassle, no challenge, no questions. They just gave it to us. Having that structure put in place would be really, really beneficial. You know, that, you know, President Biden's administration has been very clear, you know, that we're in a state of crisis. Um, And I think writing policy like that, and I think that the pharmacy industry pushing, policies like that, where there's free access to medicine in the pharmacies with as little um, barriers as possible, would get much better access to the drug and lower overdoses nationally.
3: So as we've alluded to, uh, Narcan is, is, again, a branded product. And we also have to remember that it's just one product, uh, even when we're talking about naloxone Uh In general, do you expect that this over the counter decision will serve as maybe sort of a catalyst for more decisions like this in terms of improving access? Um, You know, and even more broadly, do you think it might encourage more interest and investment in in harm reduction and substance use treatment from the pharmaceutical industry?
1: I I think it certainly can. You know, if, if you look at the generics for mental health treatments, for example, Um, You go back 25 years ago to Paxil and Prozac and things like that. You know, the depressive disorders in the U.S., there's 4 million people with a mood disorder in the country, and there are uncountable amounts of medications, you know, for depression and anxiety. Substance use has 10 times that many people with the same problem. I think that this will drive um, more into, you know, the naloxone space. I think that there's also some very exciting new treatments coming up Um, that can expand access to actual treatment rather than just harm reduction. And I think the pharma industry has a tremendous opportunity to really expand their reach into this public health crisis. Um, Addiction has not often been thought of as a public health crisis. It's been thought of as a criminal problem. Um, It's often thought of as a you problem, not a me problem. And I think that that narrative is changing, and the pharma industry typically follows that.
3: Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Britton, for uh, talking to me about the Narcan over-the-counter approval decision today. Uh, obviously, there's a ton of work that needs to be done uh, to address this epidemic in the U.S., but it's hard not to feel emboldened by this decision and, and to see a lot of promise here.
1: I'm very excited by this decision. I think that it is recognition of the reality of overdose you know, throughout the entire country. And I look to the pharma industry to really go behind that decision and increase access to the drug so that all people in the U.S. have access to it who need it and who don't think they need it. Excellent point.
0: That's it for The Top Line. I'm Teresa Carey. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at fiercepharma.com. Look for podcasts. And that's the bottom line from The Top Line.